Let's, let's pray for Debbie. Simon did forget to pray for Debbie, and he asked me to, to pray for you. Lord, we do thank you for, for our sister, Debbie Watkins. We thank you for preserving her life, falling down a, a flight of steps. She could have broken her neck. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for good healing for her left arm. And, Lord, we pray that... We, we thank you that uh, for, for Debbie's testimony of this extra time that she's had with you and this time of reflection and growth... And, Father, we thank you that we see your love and mercy even in in these dreadful accidents. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And we have a one-off sermon today from Romans chapter 12. Next week, our elder Derek Clack will be preaching. I'll be preaching at Mount Stewart for their their 10th anniversary. Starting a series on the book of Proverbs. And the elders have asked me to preach from the book of Proverbs on all the the normal aspects of life, uh, work, uh, marriage, education, um, all all the sort of regular parts of human life and and what the Bible teaches us about those those parts of life. We'll be looking at from the book of Proverbs. I know I made that sound very inspiring and you can't wait for that to start, but uh, I, I, I am looking forward to it. Begin with a story. Many years ago, there was a little village on a rocky seacoast where the storms battered and the waters were treacherous. Howling gales drove too many ships onto the rocks and too many sailors drowned in the sea. One day, the people decided among themselves that they should build a lighthouse, a life and a life-saving station on a little peninsula on the coast to warn ships away from the rocks and to save the lives of those who were cast into the icy seas. They raised a tower and set a powerful beacon on it. They organised a lookout system. They bought boats and manned them. They got to work, the work of saving lives. Many came to hear of that little village. Fewer ships broke on the rocks, but if they did, the alarm was sounded and the villagers went out, rowed out and risked their lives to pull the drowning sailors from the icy waters. What an awesome responsibility our Lord Jesus Christ has given to his churches, to his church. He said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The church is not a religious club. Church is a lighthouse to save lives, to bring the life-giving light and gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to our city. And we can be that, we can be that lighthouse, and we will be that lighthouse only if we each play our part. If we find our our God-given role and use it, and use it well. And that's what our Father teaches us to do in this wonderful passage in Romans chapter 12. Let's look at this together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, 
In other words, in view of all that God has done for you, his grace lavished on you, the fact that God has in his mercy justified you by faith and adopted you to be his children, in view of this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Give yourself entirely, in other words, to God's service. This is your true and proper worship. Worship goes far beyond singing on a Sunday morning. It's about giving our lives to serve God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, not too high, not too low, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given to each of us. And so here the Apostle Paul, and this is not the only place he does this, likens the church to the human body, and the human body has many parts, and the parts are different, and the parts work together for the common good of the body. The foot cannot say, it's all about me. The whole body is is about me. It's all about serving me. No, the foot takes its part in the whole body. Neither can the foot say, I'm not needed. I'm unimportant. I'm unnecessary. No, it's it's a necessary part of the body. If we don't have our feet, we're, we're severely crippled. And so Paul is telling us that every person in the church has been gifted by God with certain skills, abilities, talents. And I want you to be very clear about this right from the start, that there's no one excluded from this. Every single person in the church has been given a gift by God and every single gift is important, vital for the well-being of the body. No one can say, well, uh, my gift is is the most important and, and it's all about serving my gift. No, your gift is given for others. But neither can anyone say, my gift is not that important. I don't really have an important place in the church. You do. God has given you a gift and it has a very important place in the church. And so our duty is to know, to discover what gifts God has given us and, as we'll see, to use them. And from this little list of gifts that Paul gives us, you will see somewhere in this list your gift or your gifts. 
This is not the only list of gifts that, that Paul gives. He gives another list in 1 Corinthians 12, another, another list in Ephesians chapter 4. That tells us that this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a representative list. What that means is that your gift will fit somewhere within this list of gifts that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12. So let's, let's look at these, and I want you to ask yourself, how has God gifted me? How has God gifted me to serve in his church? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with literally the faith, or it could be your faith. And in the New Testament, sometimes prophecy refers to a supernatural ability to, uh, to know what God is about to do in, in the future. But here, Paul is, is almost certainly talking about prophecy as in terms of preaching, because the basic meaning of the word prophecy is to speak God's words after him. That's the basic meaning of that word, to speak God's words after him. And so at the very least, it refers to the preaching of God's word. And the preaching of God's word is a, an important and unique event, if you like, in, in the weekly life of the church. And that's why we invest so much time and effort into identifying and training men for, for preaching. And that's why you, as a church, invest so much time in setting aside me to, to prepare to preach God's word each week. Because a lot of teaching goes on in the church, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But there is a sense in which the sermon is the, the only time where the church as a whole is assembled together, where the church as a whole hears the word of God together in a way that we can encourage one another. And so it is a unique and important time in the weekly life of the church. And that's why the church does make such an investment in the weekly sermon. It's the only time that we're all together to hear God's word together so that we can go from this place and exhort each other, encourage each other from what we have all heard together. Now, is, has God gifted you, perhaps, to be a preacher? Then, what does Paul say? If your gift is prophesying, preaching, then prophesy in accordance with the faith. In other words, preach according to the truth of God's word, or it could mean to the, the measure of faith that God has given you, to the measure of ability that God has given you, preach God's word in season and out of season. And again, I would like to, to uh, put out this call that, that, that if anyone believes that God might be setting them apart for future full-time word ministry as a preacher, then you really must come and speak to me, speak to the elders about this, so that we can begin to pray for you and we can begin to look at a pathway for you. We do need to, to continually raise up more preachers for God's church. Then, if your gift is serving, Paul says, then serve. If your gift is serving, 
and serve. And the Greek word is diakonia, from which we get the word deacon. It referred to assisting other people, aiding other people. It referred to administrative service, domestic service. And we might straight away think, well, Paul's gone from a very kind of high-level gift to a, a kind of menial gift. He's gone from prophesying to, to serving. But just think for a moment about our Lord Jesus Christ and think of the way he served all day, every day. The Gospels tell us that our Lord Jesus got up before the break of day to pray. Why? He was praying as an act of service for his people. And then all day, we get, we get this picture of our Lord Jesus all day teaching people, healing people, feeding people, helping families whose, whose uh, children were, were demon-possessed, driving out demons, healing the paralyzed, healing the blind. We get the impression of a very long and exhausting day. And then the Gospels tell us that even at nightfall, people would bring their sick to Jesus for him to heal, and he would heal into the night. The Lord Jesus, his life was one big act of service, wasn't it? His act was completely devoted to service. And so to serve is a very high gift. It's what our Lord Jesus himself excelled at. And Paul says... If your gift is serving, what does he tell you to do? Serve. If your gift is serving, then serve. Don't stand back. If your gift is serving, don't stand back. Step forward. Love always finds a way to serve others. And if you think that your gift is is the gift of serving, you don't know how to start, well, do the small things. Do the unsung and hidden tasks. Do the revolting tasks. Do the the, the things that no one else wants to do. Step forward. Chip in. And by all means, go on the roster. Go on the roster. And I know that doesn't sound especially spiritual, but it's, it's, it's very spiritual. And here, our board of management, our deacons, have put together a sheet and you should have received that in the bulletin of, of how you can use your talents to serve in the church. And to go on the church roster is a wonderful, loving, spiritual thing that everyone in the church can do. And I watch Trish do the rosters, by the way, every two months. And sometimes she scratches her head wondering how she's going to fill particular parts of the roster. And so do you know what she does when there's a blank? Trish. She writes in Trish. And that's why you see Trish, Trish's name appearing so often in the roster. So Trish, for one, would be, and Trish loves it when I draw attention to her like this, <laughs> but Trish, for one, would be very grateful for a lot more help with that. What's the next gift? The gift of teaching. If your gift is teaching, then teach. And there are many forums, many possibilities for teaching God's word in our church, from running a Bible study or co-leading a Bible study, to one-on-one discipling, uh, to to teaching at youth group. There are many opportunities. There's Corner Pebble, there's the Young Women's Bible Study, 
And the current teachers are always looking for more teachers to come. And I, I do believe we have a shortage of corner pebble teachers and we have a shortage of youth group leaders, uh, men and women who are willing to come along on a Friday night to help. And by the way, youth group is, is, is wonderful and youth group is, in fact is a lot like church. I've been to youth group a number of times. The kids gather, they sing praises to God, they meet for prayer, they study God's word together and they have a time of fellowship. It's a great time. Do you know what they say the optimal age, by the way, is for a youth group leader? Someone in their 50s. That apparently is the optimal age for youth group leaders. So if that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, good. Uh, and uh, Aaliyah will be looking at the church directory, identifying people aged 51, 50 to 59, and she'll be banging on your door, I'm sure. But that, that apparently is the optimal age for youth group leaders. We often give it to the older teenagers, but it really is a job. It is for them, but it's also for the more mature. If your gift is teaching, teach, Paul says. And, of course, every parent in the church, every parent is called to be a pastor within their own home and to teach their children the word of God. And the Bible is a big book to teach. And I'm glad it's a big book because the human, the human being is an incredibly complex thing. We are very complex. We have a million needs, a million different needs. And the Bible is more than a match for all of our needs. That's the reason the Bible is long and complex and takes a lot of study and takes a lot of teaching. Because the human need, the human condition is very deep and complex. And so we must seek to bring the word of God to bear to each and every one of our needs. If your gift is teaching, then teach, Paul says. If your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. And the word translated encourage, it can mean to invite, to appeal to someone, to exhort someone, to comfort someone, to cheer someone up. It's a word that encompasses that full range of meaning. Do you remember running in the running race at primary school? And, and then mum and dad call out from the side, go! And you almost feel a, a physical sense of energy coming into you, a physical boost. And it's amazing what a word of encouragement can do, Right? It can give you that, that, that burst of energy to keep going, to go faster, stronger. Encouragement is very powerful. I remember after one of my first sermons, and I was 25, I think, and I, as I was sitting down, I'd only preached maybe twice, three times. An older friend of mine gave me a high five as I sat down. And it was incredibly encouraging because you sit down and you think you failed. You sit down as a preacher and you think, oh, there's a, the hundred things that I said wrong. And here's the hundred things I should have said that I didn't say. And so that, that high five, that, that word of encouragement when I first started preaching is something that continues to encourage me, would you believe, today. And so encourage one another. It's very, very, it's a very powerful thing to do. Don't forget Barnabas. 
What does the word Barnabas, what does that name mean? Son of encouragement. And we read that in Acts chapter 9, that after Paul, the Pharisee, was converted, he came to Jerusalem, and what did the church say? Fantastic, Paul the Pharisee is converted. Let's put him on the preaching roster. (laughs) They They were afraid of him. They were terrified of him. And it was Barnabas who took Paul by the arm and brought him into the church and said to the church, you need to listen to this man. God's gifted him. God's given him great knowledge and ability. And Barnabas encouraged the Apostle Paul. And the reason we have 13 letters of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul, the reason the church was established through Asia Minor and right across Greece and through the through to Italy in just 30 years was the Apostle Paul who was encouraged by others. He could not have done it without the encouragement of the church. And everyone in the church needs... You know, when's the last time we encouraged our Corner Pebble leaders? When's the last time we encouraged our, our youth group leaders... And I reckon it's pretty tough what they do. They work all week and then on a Friday night they go to youth group and they love it, but they need encouragement. When's the last time we encouraged those who set up our chairs, who clean the kitchen, who look after the crash, who welcome, those who, who meet one-on-one to disciple others? We need that word of encouragement. It's a very powerful and necessary thing. Has God gifted you to give? That's the next next gift there. If your gift is giving, then give generously. And this reminds me of a a very famous Christian man called Robert Letourneau. And Letourneau was a very gifted engineer who lived in the early 20th century. And he invented a lot of mining equipment and earth-moving equipment. And the equipment that he he invented, uh, 70% of the earth-moving machinery used in World War II by the Americans was invented by him. He had an incredible gift, inventive gift. He took out 300 patents and he made a vast fortune from the machines that he invented. And he gave away not 10% of all that God had given him, but 90%. 90% of all that came to him, he gave back. And he said, I shovel it out, the money that is, and God shovels it back, and God has a bigger shovel, he said. (laughs) And so the more he got, the more he gave. And this man's gift was was giving. God gave him tremendous resources and he just kept giving it and so God gave him more and so he kept giving and, and on it went. So there was a man clearly gifted to give. But it's not just the wealthy, is it? Because Jesus drew attention to that dirt poor widow in the temple who had... She didn't have millions of dollars to give. She had two of the smallest pennies, a couple of cents. 
And Jesus said, look at that woman. She's given more than all the rest. They're just giving from their surplus. She's given out of her need, out of her necessities. And he applauded her gift of giving. So one does not need to be wealthy to be a giver, but generous and willing to go without, willing to sacrifice. Turn with me for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Two Corinthians chapter eight. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. That's the gift of giving in action. You don't need a million dollars in the bank. You need a willing heart, a willingness to sacrifice in order that others will receive. And Paul knows the dangers of giving. He knows the danger of giving reluctantly, of giving pitifully, like those rich people who came into the temple and just gave of their surplus. He knows the temptation to give for applause, and Jesus referred to the, the, the hypocrites who, as they bring their gift for the poor, what do they do? They hire a trumpet player to go before them so that everyone will know that they're giving. And he notes the temptation to give with a false show of generosity like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And so he says, if you are gifted to give, then give generously. Give generously. Or that could be with simplicity, with sincerity, Paul says. Next, has God gifted you to lead, to be a leader? And I'm thinking now of one of the most famous leaders in the Bible, Deborah. I'm thinking of Deborah, who was a mum, who stepped forward in a time of great need in Israel's history. And I'm looking here at Judges chapter 4, because what was going on? The people of Israel were being oppressed, and there was no one to lead them. No one would step up. And so Deborah stepped up and she became a judge of Israel. This, this, this mother stepped forward to do this great work. And when no one else would lead, she tried to urge Barak, who was a, a reluctant soul, to lead, to take out the men to fight. And she said to him, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord God ahead of you? She had to take the lead. She had to urge the men to go and fight because they were reluctant to fight. And we read in her song in in Judges chapter 5, villages in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. 
But not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. There's someone gifted to lead. Someone who is willing to, to step up to the front and urge others forward. People had lost heart. Israel had lost their courage. And she stepped forward to encourage them and to urge them forward. And the Apostle Paul says, have you been gifted to lead? Then do it diligently, he says. That could mean zealously, eagerly, enthusiastically, with devotion. And in the book of Exodus, we see that leaders were set aside for the nation of Israel. Leaders of 10, leaders of 50, leaders of 100, leaders of 1,000. Has God gifted you to be a leader of 10? Has God gifted you to be a leader of 50, 100, 1,000? Well, lead, Paul says, and do it diligently. Finally, has God gifted you to be merciful? And in Matthew 18, we read our Lord Jesus talking about a man who had been forgiven a debt of billions of dollars, who then wouldn't show that same kind of mercy to someone who owed him a few hundred dollars. And Jesus said that he he choked that man. He had been forgiven billions. And he choked the man who who couldn't repay him a couple of hundred. And Jesus condemned that man. He damned him. How dare we not show mercy to others when God has lavished mercy on us. And so the word mercy does mean to be forgiving. And every Christian should have a forgiving heart, a forgiving spirit, a heart that wants to reconcile with others, to forgive others. But the word mercy can also refer to merciful deeds, to acts of mercy. In fact, the blind men called out to Jesus, Lord Jesus... Son of David, have mercy on us. And the lepers did the same. Son of David, have mercy on us. And so the word mercy can refer to acts of practical love, the kind of practical love that Jesus showed day in and day out. Has God gifted you in this way? Has he gifted you to show practical love deeds of mercy for others. Well, if that's you, Paul says, do it cheerfully. The Greek word, hilaritis. And you can hear the English word coming out, can't you? Hilaritis. From which we get hilarious. Do it, I don't think he meant do it hilariously. He didn't mean that, but you can see the link. There's a, there's a joy, there's a mirth to it. There's a, a gladness to it. Because anyone can, can, can help another person with a, a frown, a scowl, reluctantly. You're putting me out, I hope you realise. 
But Paul says, let's give that cheerful mercy to others. So Cornerstone, where, where are you at? Seven gifts. And you have, if you're a Christian, you have been gifted. Every Christian has been gifted. Where do your gifts fit in? With a prophecy? Serving? Teaching? Encouraging? You might not have thought that encouraging was an important gift, but it is. Giving? Leading? Showing mercy? What gifts has God given to you? Now, many of you, perhaps addressing our men in particular, you labour in the workplace throughout the week to provide for your family. And that is not an easy thing to do. In this day and age, it's not an easy thing for a man to work to provide for his family. That takes a lot of hard work. And so you work hard all week to provide for your family and to serve the city with the skills, the time, the ability that God has given to you. And then you come home and you have a new role, don't you? You come home and you have a new role, you have a new set of duties. You've come home, you're an engineer during the day, a lecturer, doctor, wherever you're working, and you come home and you've got a new set of duties. And now you've got to be a husband. And now you've got to be a father. And now you've got to use your gifts, your time, your strength to support your family. And that's, that's hard. And what Paul says is that when it comes to the church, you've got a new role again. Now, it might well overlap with your, your weekly work, or it might not. Or what you do in the home, or it might not. But you come to church and you have a new role you have a new set of duties. And Paul says that the church won't be that lighthouse that it ought to be if we are not all fulfilling our roles and our duties in the church. And I can say, I've been at Cornerstone nearly 10 years, it is full of wonderful, gifted people who use their gifts. It's a very, very encouraging church to be a part of. I see you using your gifts all the time. And yes, there are changing priorities. There are seasons of life. Young mums are devoted to their children and their homes. And they're very limited as to what they can do in the church. And husbands and fathers, as I've said, have to work very hard during the week. And they have to weigh up, well, what can I do in the church? given all the other responsibilities that I have. The sick and the elderly can't stack our chairs. Children cannot preach and lead. But you serve, and I see you all serving. And this church would be nothing without it. This church would be nothing without the service that you give. But having heard, heard God's word here, I'm challenged. Having heard God's word, I, I hope that we're all challenged. And I put a little anecdote in the 
in the bulletin, a little story. I'll just, just quickly retell it. But uh, I do like to, to read on the front steps of our house. It's my, one of my favourite places to sit to read because it's quiet and I like the cool air. I like, I can see the city, the river, it's nice. But the, the bricks press into my left leg about there. And so when I, when I go to stand up, and it almost always catches me by surprise, I find my leg is completely asleep. And I almost fall over. And it's, it's that, that strange feeling. Your, your whole leg is numb, and I've got to actually just stop. And for a moment, I, I, can't, it's, I can't move because I've got to wait till the leg is woken up or I'm going to fall down the steps. And I think what Paul is saying to me here asks me, I'm an important part of the church. Am I awake? Am I awake? Or am I dozing off and asleep and putting in jeopardy the rest of the body? Because what I bring to the body, what you bring to the body, is vitally important. There's no optional gift. There's no gift that is unnecessary to this church. The gifts that God has given you are needed. And you have all been gifted to serve. Young men, God has blessed you with broad shoulders and muscle power, right? Big muscles. And those muscles are not just for the mirror. They are for the church. They are for others. A young man with strong arms and love in his heart can lift enormous burdens from others. And I reckon there's some people in the church that could do with some muscle power in their homes, perhaps with the gardening, perhaps with the housework, perhaps things that need to be shifted around. God gave you muscles and strength to serve, to serve others. And you can do that. You can find a way. Young women, God has blessed you with a nurturing spirit. And you can come like angels to, to the elderly in the church, to help them, to young mums who are struggling with, with children. And that's very demanding. A young woman in the church can come like an angel to bring help to those who are battling in the church. And our retirees. I often laugh because Christian retirees are the, usually the busiest people I know. And I think, oh, you've retired. Yeah, but <laughs> look, look at all you're doing now. And I, I see the, the wonderful way in which our Christian retirees scatter their gifts and their generous givers and their encouragements and they serve how they can and this is a wonderful and beautiful thing. Keep going, please. Keep going in that way. And I want to say that the, the, the frailest person in the church can serve in a very powerful way. And I reckon there's some people here this morning who are saying, well, this is all well and good, but I, I've had it. My body's had it. I'm old and tired. What can I do? And I noticed Christine was clearing her throat there, but uh, it wasn't talking about you in particular. But the frailest and oldest person in the church 
can bring Samson-like strength to serve their brothers and sisters. And I think of Samson, who took the gates of that Philistine city, which was oppressing Israel, and he tore it up by its roots, and he carried it far away. And by doing that, he crippled the enemies of God's people. And the frailest person in this church can, with Samson-like strength, with their prayers, carry the gates of hell far from this church. The frailest person in this church can can bring Samson-like strength in their prayers to bless their brothers and their sisters and those who need help. Even the frailest person can serve mightily in the kingdom of God. And Paul encourages us to do that. Well, I've kept you for some time and I'll finish by again drawing your attention to this this list that our deacons have put together using your talents to serve in the church. And at the back of the church today, Trish and Libby will be there. Probably at the top of the steps, I'd say. Is that right, Trish and Libby? strategically placed. And if you would like to to, to serve more, then speak to Trish and Libby. They are trying to get some more help with the rosters. We do need more help there, and that's an important thing to do. Our denomination, I just need you to know this, our denomination now has significant financial resources to do not-for-profit charitable work. Just let me say that again. Our denomination now has significant financial resources to do not-for-profit charitable work. And churches like Cornerstone can apply for those funds to do charitable work in the community. Please get thinking about that. I want Cornerstone to be thinking hard about that. What people has God given us that we can get behind and support and use these resources to do charitable work in our community? If you're thinking about that, you're interested in that, you must talk to our deacons about that. I've already said that Aaliyah needs more youth group leaders. Is that right? Yep. We need more Sunday school teachers, more people in the creche. Please see Simon and Jane about that. Every Christian teacher in the church is trying to put themselves out of a job. So if, if uh, as a preacher, I want to replace myself with other preachers because I'm not going to be around forever. And every Christian teacher and leader is trying to raise up others to replace them. And so be open to that. We need more deacons. We really do. Our church is growing. We definitely need more deacons. Please speak to me about that. Let's all pitch in. And again, I thank God for you. I really do. I thank God for this church the tremendous way in which you all serve. And I hope you've been encouraged this morning to keep going and to ask, how can I serve even more with the gifts that God has given me? Let me pray.